You're listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Xinyan Kwaila. Right? Xinyan Hao. It's Chinese New Year, so Happy New Year to uh, all my uh, East Asian friends, and so I hope uh, you have a great day. This morning I have uh, with me Juliet. She is a, uh, a life group leader who's going to be reading our passage today. We're making our way through the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 14. That's what we're going to be looking at today. If you don't have one, that's okay. Grab one from the pew rack in front of you. If you don't have that, just Google it on your phone. Acts 14. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 to verse 20, okay? In honor of God's word, let's stand together. I'll ask Julia to read this. Hello. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 to 20. Let's hear God's word. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea in all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet, he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, you may be seated. <clears throat> All right, so 
Today, we are going to carry on in our story in the book of Acts. Just as a reminder, Acts is uh, in the New, a New Testament book. Uh, it's a story of the early church. It takes place in the immediate aftermath of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts um, is basically a picture of what happens when God's empowering presence, the Holy Spirit, comes upon his people. As we bear witness to Jesus' reality in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And our challenge, as uh, recipients of God's word, our challenge is for you and I also to bear witness to Coquitlam, to Port Coquitlam, to Port Moody, and to far, far away lands like Surrey. And deepest, darkest, New Westminster. <laughs> we come across in, the, in our passage uh, with, with our, our, our two, two main guys, uh, Paul and Barnabas, sharing the message of God's amazing grace to town after town after town. Now, I've often wondered, I've often wondered what these guys look like. Have you ever wondered that? I just think it's kind of, it would be kind of, so I came across something interesting this week. I came across, it was a second century document called the Acts of Paul, which actually in it preserves a description of Paul uh, by a fellow named Anisphorus, who was actually from Iconium, which is one of the places that is mentioned in our passage. And this Anisphorus, he, he uh, and, and many scholars look at this description that they give of Paul and they say, man, this is so, so vivid it actually has a ring of authenticity as actually being a witness, an eyewitness account to what Paul looked like. So this is the description that he offers. And it says, And he saw Paul approaching, a man small in size, with, with meeting eyebrows, so unibrow, um, with a rather large nose, bald-headed, bow-legged, strongly built, full of grace, for at times he looked like a man, and at times he had the face of an angel. Now, don't think of an angel as like, no, an angel is super intense. That's what it means, right? We know from other documents that Paul, he had bad eyesight. Um, so he probably not only was bow-legged and bald and a big nose, but he probably had a bit of a squint, too. And so this stocky, unibrow guy going from door, uh, you know, uh, town to town, I think it's, it's, it's quite, a, quite a cool picture. And this is a guy that God uses in incredible ways to spread his message of love and grace to the world. But today, in this passage, we read of a new experience for the duo. Uh, in fact, because typically what happens is, is Paul and Barnabas, when they go from town to town, the first place they visit is what? What's the first place that they would go to? A synagogue. Yes, they'd usually go to a synagogue and tell people about who Jesus was. Now, there's good reasons for this. Uh, the people that they would be speaking to would already have a pretty good background uh, of the Bible. They would know the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. They would know the teachings of the prophets. They would know the promise to Abraham. They would know all this stuff. And so to communicate how Jesus is the Messiah, he is a long-expected one, he's a fulfillment of the Scriptures, was a lot easier for people with this kind of background. Uh, because the people that they're speaking to already worship the one true God. They knew the writings of Scripture. And so that's, that it would be easier. But 
But today, what we read in this passage is Paul and Barnabas, they enter a town and they speak to people with very little biblical understanding. So how are they going to pull this off? How are they going to do this? Well, I, I think this is one of the challenges in our world today. How do you share in our culture about who Jesus is? Especially when, when it's very easy to misunderstand what we're saying. Because a lot, most of us, a lot of us don't have background in the Bible. I didn't grow up in the church. And so if people talk to me about Jesus, I had no, I had zero kind of understanding. And so it would be easy for me to misunderstand what a person was saying. And often you can misunderstand it in, in probably a couple ways. But one way is you would hear about Jesus. And if you have no church background or no biblical background, you say, you know, I like this Jesus. He's good. Jesus sounds a lot like Buddha. They're probably the same guy. Be easy to say that. Or somebody could say, you know, share about, you know, the, the teachings of Jesus and who, who he was and the influence he made. And, and what you would say would be so powerful that the person would look at you, the messenger, as being like a prophet or being almost divine yourself. And that's actually the situation that we run into in this passage in Acts 14. So the significance of the passage is for the first time in the book of Acts, Christian missionaries go to a town that doesn't, probably doesn't have a synagogue, and they end up addressing people with zero biblical background. Uh, most of the people there would probably be polytheistic, believing in many gods. They would be heathen, pagan backgrounds. And so how do you speak to them? Again, this is our issue in our culture today. I used to, um, I used to pastor in a different church in Coquitlam. And I remember one day I was, I was in my office and I was looking outside and there's a person across the street collapsed and just fell to the ground. And so I went out and a few of us went out and we saw the guy and, you know, we called the ambulance. And, and, and I was just talking to some of the guys and they lived in that neighborhood. And they said, oh, we saw you come from that building. Uh, what is that building? I said, well, it's actually a church. And they looked at me and they said, what's a church? I'm like, oh, well, this church is better. And so I tried to explain and they said, well, what are you doing there? I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm a pastor. What's a pastor? I'm like, so I says, kind of like a priest, but we're married. But, uh, you know, <laughs> but it was, it was like they had zero background. It's like, what is this, right? And I want to acknowledge that like, there's many of you who are here today. Um, you don't have church background. Maybe you're, you're here at church for the first time. You're like, man, I have no idea what to expect. Don't worry. I, I totally get that. I had zero church background. When I first went to the church, I was like, ah, what is this all about? Um, but this is a challenge that Paul and Barnabas have. They, uh, they're coming to this town, and they're telling people about Jesus, but these people have zero background. So let's see what happens. Well, the story begins uh, with a miraculous healing, but it ends with a disturbing response. It all takes place in this town called Lystra, which is about 18 miles from Iconium, uh, a place that was earlier mentioned in the chapter. So when Paul and Barnabas arrive, they, they, they encounter this man who's lame, who's probably a beggar, um, and who's, you know, who's just sitting there and, and, and looking for help. And, and, and this man we read is listening to Paul and Barnabas as they talk about Jesus. And Paul looks at the guy and he sees that the guy believes everything he's saying. And then, and then 
Paul looks at him and then tells him to stand to his feet, and a miracle happens. This guy who's never been able to walk is not only able to walk, but it says he jumps to his feet, right? And so everybody's seeing this, and they see a miracle. Now, in the past, people would say, wow, a miracle, and they would have a frame of reference to say, okay, this is what the God of the Bible does, is he's a God of healing. But they're in a context that's mostly pagan. And so they look at what happened, and they're like, whoa! Who are these two guys? They must be gods who have come to visit us. And, and the people, they decide that it's not every day you have gods come to visit you, come to your town. And so this occasion needs to be celebrated. And so they, they arrange for a, a sacrifice to these, to these two guys, to these gods. Now, Paul and Barnabas is kind of interesting. They don't really understand what's going on. Because everybody is speaking Lyconian, and presumably they don't understand Lyconium. They don't understand. So a lot of talking's going on, but they don't understand what's being said. Now, I get that. I get that. Um, you know, I've lived in places where people all around me um, were, you know, it's difficult to understand. Some of you know I spent many, many months and some years in, 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 in North Carolina. Um, <laughs> And it's just, it's very difficult to understand what people are saying there, you know? I think it's English, but... <laughs> now, unbeknownst to these missionaries, the crowd, they've identified them. They said, oh, we know who this is. This is none other than Hermes and Zeus have come to visit us. Paul, they said, was Hermes, because uh, Hermes is the chief speaker, Hermes being the messenger of the gods. Barnabas was seen as Zeus, the principal Greek god. Now, what's going on here? Now, why would they think this? Well, as it turns out, there's a tradition that lies behind the city that at one point, long, long time ago, that Zeus and Hermes had visited this town. There's actually a painting of Zeus and Hermes and the, the, the couple that received them and, 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 and treated them well. But the, the story is, is that these two gods, that there's a, actually a cult of, of Hermes and Zeus in this town. And... Um, the story goes is that the town, some people received them well, but some people kind of ignored them. And because they're fickle gods, they actually caused a widespread flood in the land because these people did not receive them well. So the people don't want to make that same mistake twice. Um, so they marked this occasion, this, this big occasion, by, making, by having a sacrifice to take place, to, to honor these two gods who have come to town. Now, the funny part is, is Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're clued out. They don't know what's going on. And they're like, wow, what, what are you guys doing? What, what, you know, what's with this? You're sacrificing. Who are you sacrificing to? Who are you sacrificing? Because you speak loudly if you don't understand the language. No. <laughs> Who are you sacrificing to? Us? You think we're gods? You think we're Zeus and Hermes? No. And so they, when they find out what's happening, they tear their garments. They rush into the crowd. They say, don't, don't do that. This is blasphemy. We're not divine. And so they try to communicate to the crowd. They said, you know, it's bad enough that you think we're gods. But hey, if you try to worship us, well, that's, that's a serious sin against God. And so Paul tries to explain to the crowd where things went wrong. Now, how he explains and how he speaks to the crowd, I think, is really interesting. His speech is very different from other speeches. Um, 
To Jewish audiences, Paul would always emphasize how Jesus was the Messiah, the long-expected one, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. But how do you do so? How do you communicate the truth of Jesus to people with no background? And again, Paul, <laughs> we need to learn from Paul here because sometimes, sometimes, sometimes as Christians, the way we communicate Jesus is in a way that Honestly, a lot of people have no idea what we're saying. So, you know, if we come up to somebody, you know, and, we, and, and we're sharing with them, and, and you say, you know, Clayton, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? <laughs> have you moved from being unregenerate to walking in this narrow path? That Jehovah Jireh calls you to walk, you know, whatever, right? You know, sometimes the way we, we, we talk about Jesus, people are like, I have no idea what you're saying. And I think that's a problem. If, you know, if Paul had started speaking to the crowd, you know, you need to know that this is a promise that God gave to Abraham. People are like, who's Abraham? Well, Isaac, and I, who's Isaac? I don't know any of these people. It wouldn't have made sense. And so they need it. Um, he, so the question is, you know, how do you, how do you speak the truth of Jesus, the, the wonder of who Jesus is, the meaning of the cross, to people with zero background? This is a real challenge. Um, so I, I used to, uh, when I was a brand new Christian, I worked, uh, I worked out, I was in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, and I was a brand new Christian. You think, you're probably thinking I'm American. I'm not American. Um, but I, I did some work down in Omaha. It was kind of funny. I was an intern at the third largest Alliance Church in North America, and I was only a Christian for like two months. Um, and I also got a job at a Christian bookstore, which is kind of silly. So I'm working at this Christian bookstore, and there's this young woman, and uh, it was kind of a, a lull in, the, uh, in business, and so I just started chatting with her, and she was about 18, 19 years old. I said, so what do you want to do, you know, with your life? And she goes, well, I just want to find a man and serve him for the rest of my life as, our, as his wife. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's strange. But, um, and she goes, you know, you know, just kind of embodying what John 3.16 says. And I said, John 3.16. She goes, you know, John 3.16. I said, no, I've never heard of John 3.16. John 3.16. I said, you can say it as many times as you want. I still don't understand what this means. For God so loved the I said, oh, yeah. I said, I think I've heard of that how are you working here? <laughs> she was so mad at me, right? But one of the challenges we have is, 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 to need, is we need to learn how to share the truths of, 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 of Jesus in a way that is accessible. That is why Alpha is so important. That is why Alpha is so important. Because I'll tell you, if you've done Alpha, you'll know it's very clear. It's very clear and it begins where you're at. And it speaks in a way that most people can understand. And it's a very, very good program. So February 9th, remember that. So, back to uh, the story. What did I say? February 8th? Whatever the Wednesday is. <laughs> February something. Uh, 8th, there we go. So, let's back up a few. So what does Paul do? So how does he respond to these people? Well, again, there's no point talking about a Messiah to polytheists. So how does, how does he say? Well, he begins by asking them, what are you doing? We're men. We are ordinary men. 
we're the same as you, don't be worshiping us. And then he says, well, what are we actually here to do? Well, we're here to tell you some really good news. And what he says is that you need to turn away. You know, you guys used to live a certain way. You used to, you know, have practices and, and try to find meaning in things that are empty, that will not deliver. You're worshiping things. You're living your life in a way that is vain, that is empty. And that's not the way you're supposed to live. Now, in the past, you know, God was gracious and he allowed you to live that way. But now that this guy, Jesus, has come, you really need to change. And, and he says, you need to, and, and you, you need to know that, that God is real. There's one God and he is real. And, and here's the thing, deep down, you probably know this. Deep down, you know, like when you see a sunrise, when you see a sunset, and when you see a baby born, when you see these wondrous things, there's something inside of you that says there's more to life than this. There's got to be more. That every person has a sense of divinitatis, the sense of God. And that's basically where he begins. He says, you need to know that, that God is. That you, and later on in um, a few um, chapters, he talks to other groups, and he says, this God is the one in, in whom we live, we breathe, and we have our being. The sense of God, I'm here to tell you who he is. You see, so you notice where his, his whole communication is different. He has to start back a number of steps in order to speak to these people. The problem is, is what he says is so good that people are like, ha, huh, that's amazing. You are gods. And Paul's like, you know, rolling his eyes, his beady little eyes with his unibrow. No, um, now, the next part of this passage, though, is really surprising. Except it's not. The same people who are on the verge of worshiping Paul and Barnabas as gods, they turn on a dime, and next thing we see is they're trying to kill them. Which is strange. But it's not that strange. <laughs> Can you imagine in our day and age... A scenario, and I know it's difficult to imagine. Can you imagine a situation where somebody one day is super popular and then overnight is canceled and becomes an object of anger and hatred? Can you imagine something like that happening? Well, that seems to be what's happening in this passage. The whole town is ready to sacrifice to these two perceived gods, and in a flash, everything changes. Now, why does it happen? Well, it happens because there's some people that come to town and they stir up the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. And it's actually a warning for us. I think it's a real important warning for us. And, and, and the warning is this, is never make a person into a God. Now, you're like, I don't make people. Yes, we do. We, we look at people and we put them on pedestals and we say, you can do no wrong. And the problem is, is when we make somebody a person like a God, they can do no wrong. And, we, and we, we, we treat them almost as, as God. The moment they disappoint you, you're going to be disappointed with God. And that's, I see that happen so many times. I had a buddy of mine when I first became a Christian. He was a very good friend of mine. He was instrument, instrumental in leading me to Christ. First thing he said to me, he goes, hey, you need to know I'm going to disappoint you. Don't look at me as if I'm God or I'm Jesus. Like, don't. I'm going to disappoint you. And I'm so glad he said that because he did disappoint me. But if he doesn't, then I'm like, if I see him the way I see God and he disappoints me, I'm going to be disappointed with God. 
So Paul and Barnabas, what happens? Well, they end up being assaulted. Paul is uh, pelted with a bunch of stones. They drag his body as he's unconscious. They drag his body outside the city gates and they leave him for dead. Thankfully, Paul's not dead. Uh, what happens, we re- he's somehow he re- he's revived. But what gets me is he's revived. He's just been stone hit by stones in the town. He's dragged, left for dead. He revives, and what does he do? Does he say, oh, I am out of here. What does he do? He goes back into Lystra. He goes back into town. And then we read a few uh, verses later on. After they leave town, they still come back. And that just blows me away. Okay, so what can we draw from this passage? Just a few things. One, and this is not a surprise, telling people about Jesus can cause division. (laughs) Well, it can. People react differently to the news of Jesus. You say the J word and people are going to respond differently. And Paul describes this in, in, in 2 Corinthians. He says, you know, the, the, the truth of Jesus is an aroma of death for some, an aroma for life, of life for other people. And personally, I felt both. I remember being in a room when I was not a Christian and people were talking about Jesus. I'm like, oh, get me out of here. I hated it. I hated Christians. I hated anything that they had to do. I wanted to have nothing to do with them because it was an aroma of death because I felt, I felt in my heart like I had been doing things that I shouldn't be doing and I hated feeling that way. So it was an aroma of death. But then later, it became an aroma of life. And as the work of the Spirit in my heart opened up my heart and the, and the, and the re- reality of Jesus, who he is and what he did on the cross became a life-giving perfume. And so when you and I are witnesses to Jesus, we need to recognize that not everybody's going to be happy. But we need to share Jesus with grace and truth and love. Secondly, Telling people about Jesus can cause misunderstanding. And so our challenge is to know what we believe. Do you know what you believe? Do you know how your life with Jesus intersects with every aspect of this world? That's our challenge. How deep does our Christian faith go and how does it affect how we live our day-to-day life? How does it affect how we make decisions at work? How does it affect how we parent? How does it affect how we do friendship? The reality of Jesus affects every aspect of life. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to understand this. That's one of the reasons one of the classes I taught last semester was um, uh, 10 hard questions. And we need to wrestle with, with difficult questions to do with our faith. Thirdly, telling people about Jesus can lead to great suffering. And, and you know, many of you are from Iran or you're from um, China or from North Africa, and you know this, you know, I mean, this has been your experience. And whoever thinks that the Christian life is all roses and sunshine, they need to look at Paul's life. And Paul, in, in one point in 2 Corinthians, he just kind of goes through the list. He goes like, man, it has not been easy. You know, he's either been hit with stones, he's been assaulted, he's been shipwrecked, he's been bitten by a snake. It keeps going on, right? Finally, Telling people about Jesus can cause great transformation. And as Paul and Barnabas go place to place to place and they share the truth of Jesus, there is remarkable transformation. 
In verse 27, we read that God opens a door of faith to the Gentiles. Something big was happening. And the cool thing is, is that the transformation that we read that takes place in the book of Acts, is, is this transformation occurs all throughout history. That God is still in the business of transforming communities. And one of the things I love about church history, as you know, I spend a little too much time in church history. Some of you know this, but... Um, but I love reading how God transforms communities around the world throughout history. And uh, one of my favorite stories, um, there's so many, but one of my favorite stories is about a guy who's often misunderstood, and that is St. Patrick. How many of you have heard of St. Patrick? How many of you have celebrated St. Patrick? Yeah, I know how you've celebrated St. Patrick, yeah. <laughs> Do you know St. Patrick is one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the church? He is, he, is, he is a remarkable person. And he's got just like the coolest life. And his life, there's some aspects of his life that remind me of the story of Paul. I mean, Patrick is an interesting guy. One, he's not Irish. Sorry to all the Irish people. He's not Irish. He's British. Um, but when he was a young man, when he was 16 years old, something happened. Um, there, were, uh, there was a, a community in, in the south part of Britain, and uh, these um, Irish barbarians came raiding the coast. And they came to his village, and there's very little protection. And Patrick's running for his life, but he gets grabbed, along with hundreds of others, and they get sold into slavery. And Patrick is a slave. And he gets hauled across into Ireland... And he's in the middle of Ireland, and he's asked to work for this barbarian chieftain. And as he's being brought in, no doubt he would see on the, on the, or on the compound, on the top of the stakes, there'd be, you know, heads that would be stuck on these, on these uh, stakes. Um, and he would see this, and he was given a job. And his job was to go off and to, to be up in the, in the mountains in the elements, and, and to look after pigs. And that's what he did. And we actually know this because Patrick wrote his confession. There's like two documents that are actually historical of Patrick. One is his confession. And he tells a story about what happened. And one of the things he says is while he's up in the mountains, this is what he says. He says, um, um, he says, after I came to Ireland, every day I had to tend sheep. And many times a day I prayed. The love of God and his fear came to me more and more. And my faith was strengthened. And as my spirit was moved, so that in a single day I would say as many as a hundred prayers. And almost as many at night. And even when I was staying in the woods and on the mountain, I used to get up for prayer before daylight, through snow, through frost, through rain. And I felt no harm. And I could see that the spirit was in me. And then he's there for six years. Doing the same thing. Then one day he has a dream. Or one night, I guess, he has a dream. And in the dream, he gets this message. Patrick, it's almost time for you to go. And he gets another message that says, Patrick, your ship is ready. Now, where's the ship? Well, he just up and goes. And we're not sure how he's directed, but he ends up traveling by foot 200 miles. And he ends up in the southeast corner of Ireland. And sure enough, there's a boat. And a bunch of pagan guys with um, wolfhounds get, getting onto a boat. 
And Patrick says, hey, can I come onto the boat? And they look at him and they say, no. <laughs> and Patrick's like, okay, that was a long way to walk. <laughs> I thought God had called me here. And then he's walking away and they're like, all right, come on, get on the boat. So they get on the boat and they travel across to the continent. And uh, lots of interesting things happening. But through a series of circumstances, Paul, um, Patrick makes his way home. Now, can you imagine his home? He's been away for six, seven, well, we're not sure how many years. Um, he's away for quite a few years. He comes back home. And can you imagine what people would have thought? Patrick, you're back? We thought you were dead? Oh, thanks be to God, you're back. And Patrick's like, well, yeah, it is good to be home. Um, everything was back to normal. You think, you know, the credits are going to roll, the end will, you know, end of the story. Except, except... Patrick has a vision. And in this dream vision, this is what he writes. He says, I had a vision in my dreams of a man who seemed to come from Ireland. And Patrick wrote, his name was Victoricius, and he carried countless letters, one of which he handed over to me. And I read aloud the letter. And the letter says, Oh, Patrick, the voice of the Irish are calling you. And he says, I, I seem to hear the voice of the same men who lived beside me in the forest where I used to live. And these people, they cried out to Patrick with one voice. They said, we appeal to you, oh, holy boy, to come and walk among us. And he says, I was so moved. Now, one of the amazing things and he can imagine his family, his family saying, you're going where? Because God called him back to Ireland. Now, he knew the language at this point. He knew the customs. He knew a number of things. And so he goes back in such a strategic way. But he goes back to Ireland. But we also know that within one generation, almost the entire land of Ireland was converted to Christianity. Within one generation... And Patrick, he understood that the Irish loved stories, so he'd tell them stories about Jesus. He knew their language, so he spoke in a way that they would understand. And within one generation, the whole land was transformed. Now, I love the story of Patrick because it reminds me of so many other stories. You look at Evan Roberts from Wales, or Pandita Ramadai from India, or uh, Song Shangjie from China. And they remind us that God is still in the business of transforming lands. And I read these stories and I think, ha, huh, could it be, could it be that God could also transform deepest, darkest Coquitlam? Now, you and I, we don't have to travel to Ireland. We can walk across the street and speak to our neighbors. Or we could even take a greater risk and walk across the foyer and talk to people. But the reality is, is God is still in the business of transforming entire communities, and he does so through ordinary people like you and me, who instead of running away, run back. And that's what we get with Patrick. And I think we're so desperately, we so desperately need to hear this good news. We need to hear good news in a very bleak, war-torn, divided world. And so maybe God is calling you. 
And maybe this is the message of the passage that God is saying to you today. To call you to walk across the room and speak to that person that you know you need to speak to. And speak in such a way that they get it. And always point them to Jesus. Does that make sense? All right, well, let's pray. Jesus, we desperately need to know you and to be known by you. You are good news. And because of your reality, because of your life, death, and resurrection, the world will never be the same. So grant us wisdom and grant us courage to proclaim, to be witnesses to your reality, to be witnesses to the amazing work that you did on the cross, dying the death that we should have died, paying the debt that we could never pay so that we could be free and that we could walk with you, the God of love. This is such powerful news, and so grant us the courage to lean in rather than to shirk back and to proclaim this truth to to a world that really needs to hear it. That's our desire, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.